you have your Bibles, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 18. And this evening, we're going to be kicking off uh, a new series uh, for the month of October. Can you believe it? Here we are in October already. I mean, it's amazing that we're talking about safe zone, and, and uh, time is just going by, but God's doing great things. And um, we look forward to all that he's going to do, and we're kicking off this series uh, entitled Fear Not. Say that with me. Fear Not. Amen. Fear Not. We're going to look in God's Word, and we're going to spend time uh, this month tackling this subject of fear. And we're going to see what God says about it and how God desires to move in our lives and help us to be uh, people of courage, uh, people of bravery, and that will obey him no matter what. Uh, so we're going to believe God this month to, uh, to do great things. So 1 John 4.18, here is the series scripture that we're going to be uh, spending time on all this month. The Bible says this. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Now, fear is spoken about over 500 times in the Bible. 500 times. Wouldn't you say that that is a topic of importance when it comes to God and what he's trying to teach us? 500 times in the Bible, throughout the Bible. And it's also said that the phrase, do not be afraid, is written in the Bible 365 times. Isn't that amazing? Do not be afraid. 365 times in the Word of God. What does that tell us? There's one statement, one declaration each day for our entire year of do not be afraid. God's trying to tell us something. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain, or a threat. Now, the Bible also says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is what I could, would call a healthy fear, a fear of the Lord that would uh, keep us in line and keep us serving Him. Uh, but we're not talking about that type of fear. We're talking about the fear that is an emotion, the fear that I just defined as an unpleasant emotion with a belief that something is going to cause danger to you or cause pain or a threat. And many times what that fear would do to us would stop us cold in our tracks from doing what God would have us to do. Because we're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid of what we think may happen if we take that step of faith or obedience. So we're going to tackle this subject this month. And we're going to look into God's wonderful riches, the Word of God, and see what He says about fear this month. And how we as believers should address this issue in our life. Because no matter how long you've been serving God or how close you are to God, this is something I believe that we always have to keep in check in our lives, the issue of fear. Because we're human. We're all susceptible, if we're not careful, to allowing fear to grip our hearts and, and come into our lives. As we talk about fear, it's interesting. I was doing a search on fear, and it, there's over 100 types of phobias. <clears throat> It's interesting, all kinds, phobias for everything. Under the sun, my goodness. There is, uh, I mean, just looking at a few of the lists here, there's a fear of animals called a zoophobia. Uh, there's a, a fear of bacteria, right? There's a fear of books. There's a, a fear of clowns. Someone say, yes, I have the fear of clowns. 
Coldrophobia, that's the fear of clowns. Fear of feet, there's a fear of feet, believe it or not. Podophobia, there is, the list goes on. There's a fear of teenagers, would you believe that? Ephibiophobia, the fear of teenagers. And there's also one in here, I forgot the name, but a fear of children as well. So there's a fear for everything, everything under the sun. There's a fear for everything. And if we're not careful as people of God, as believers, as his children, we can allow fear to grip our hearts. When God has called us to be courageous, when God has called us to take steps of faith, when God has called us to step out in obedience, sometimes as we see into the unknown, God has called us. And we as believers, we have to march forward, we have to press forward each and every day in obeying God's word, despite sometimes the fear that we may feel. There's a time a few years ago that I was out with some uh, some co-workers and we were eating lunch and we were in the patio and we were enjoying a good meal and all of a sudden we were there and there's there's a few of us and and a little bee was was coming around our food right it was coming it was it was buzzing around and 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 a couple of us were just there I mean we're not doing anything to agitate this bee but there there was a, a, another uh, one of our co-workers that he must have had a fear of, of bees because he started to just really, uh, you know, bob and weave and, and try to just do everything he, he could to get away from this bee. And he was, at the same time, he was trying to keep his cool, right? It was just those guys, right? So he's trying to keep his cool, but you could see that this bee was really causing him to worry. And, and he was just starting to move all around. And then all of a sudden, he gets up, he gets out of his seat, and he just goes inside the building. And he was going to wait it out. He's going to wait till this bee left, and then he would come uh, back. Back to lunch and the funny thing was we it's funny we just kept eating as, as normal and uh, the bee eventually left and left and here he came but he had a fear a fear of being stung perhaps he was allergic uh, to, to bees perhaps but this was causing him to, to forget the fact that it was a sunny day it was a nice day we we're enjoying a great meal this one bee was destroying all that and isn't that how fear is sometimes man we could be in the in, in the best place we could be somewhere where where in every circumstance, you would think, I should be enjoying this thing. But when fear is involved, when fear grips your heart, what does it do? It takes the joy away, right? That's what fear does. God's taking you places, and you're inheriting blessings, and you're in the promised land, and God's doing so many great things in your life. But once fear grips our heart, what does it do? It causes us to start to worry and have phobias about things many times that aren't even ever going to happen. Can you say Amen. Some of the fears we have, yes, they may be tied to things that we've experienced, perhaps growing. But there are things that we fear. And we'll talk about worry in just a moment. Things that, that are improbable, that are most likely never going to happen. So as we kick off this series, Fear Not, where do we begin? I believe that we must understand and grasp the truth that our Heavenly Father, Father God, our Heavenly Father who loves us so much, He knows us by name. Amen. He knows your name tonight. He knows my name. He knows who you are. He knows where you are in your life. He knows your situation. He, he, he created you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Tonight's message is entitled, Fear Not, I Know You by Name. Thank you, Jesus. 
God is our Father. He knows you. He knows your needs. He knows your situation. He knows where you're at tonight. He knows what circumstance you're in tonight. He knows your state of mind tonight. He knows what, you, what heartache you're feeling tonight as you're here in the house of God, perhaps going through something. He knows you. He knows your name. God knows exactly who you are. And our passage tonight as we springboard is Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. The Bible says this, the Lord gave me this message, verse 5, I knew you, this is what the Lord says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. O sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you, I am too young. The Lord replied, don't say I am too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid, there it is, don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. That's good news tonight. Can you say amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, look, I have put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. So you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. Praise God. Let's pray this evening. Father, we come before you, Lord. We're so grateful, Father, for your word, my God. We're thankful for the time that we have here together, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us this evening, Father, as we dive into your word, God, that you would teach us, Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would uh, bring revelation, Father God, that you would have your way, that our hearts would be soft to receive your word with gladness, Father God, that we would walk out of here changed tonight, different, Father God, willing to go out and to do what you've called us to do in this world, Father God. We thank you. Father God, be with us tonight. Be glorified this evening, we ask in Jesus' name. We all say amen thank you jesus in verse 8 it says and do not be afraid of the people for i will be with you and will protect you that's god's word for us this evening we don't have to fear because god knows our name now there are many instances in the bible as we look here at the word of god where god directly called his people by name and if you're taking notes, a few, a few instances here. Genesis chapter 22, verse 11, he called to Abraham. Abraham, Abraham, he called him by name. In Genesis 46, 1, he called Jacob by name. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, he called Samuel by name. In Luke 10, 38, Martha, Martha, the Lord spoke directly to Martha. Many other instances in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31, Simon Peter, he, he spoke to Simon directly. When the Lord spoke to his people, he called them by name. He calls us by name tonight. He knows you. He knows me. And what does that mean that he knows our name? It's not just that he knows our name, but that he knows who we are. He knows our hang-ups. He knows our good and our bad. He knows our victories and our failures. He knows us in and out. He created us. He knows us. He knows where you are tonight. He knows how you're feeling. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you went through today. He knows what you had to experience to walk through these doors, what, what victory, what, what way you had to press through the temptation and the trial to walk through these very doors tonight. Perhaps those that are tuning in online, he knows where you're at. He knows your situation. He calls us by name. 
See, calling us by name shows that he knows us, that he loves us, and that we are his. And we believe that tonight, as we've accepted him, as we're following him, that we are his, that we're his children. And how many know that he knows how to protect his own? Can you say amen? He knows how to protect his own. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, so you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. The Lord knows how to rescue godly people. He knows how to rescue you. He knows how to help you. He knows how to strengthen you there in your situation. He knows how to deliver you and I from our situation. And many times that's our prayer, right? God, deliver me from this thing. And that's an okay prayer. It's all right to ask the Lord for deliverance. Maybe we're in a situation where we just, we just want to get out of it. And God could do it in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, he could deliver you. But what he can also do is he can give you the strength to weather that storm. If it's according to his will for you to weather that storm so that he could build you up, so that he could strengthen you, then I believe he sees the big picture. He knows what's, what's best for us. So perhaps if you're in this place and you've been praying for God, God, get me out of this situation. Perhaps it's, it's something at work taking place or transpiring or, or perhaps it's a relationship or, or a family situation. God, get me out of this thing. I just want you to whisk me away, God. Take me away from this. And he can do that. But he can also build you up. He wants to build us up. Perhaps there's an issue in ministry that you're facing and it's, it's a storm and God maybe is just saying, just weather there, just, just be patient, hold on, trust in me, I'm doing something beautiful, I'm doing something good in your life, just stand fast. God knows what he's doing. He knows how to protect you. See, some fears that we have, they're rational. Yes, they're the results of something that may have happened years ago or recently. But many of the fears are irrational. When we talk about phobias, about things that haven't happened or things that most likely will never happen. Now in Matthew 6, 25, when, when you think of this about, about things that, that aren't going to happen or may never happen or most probably are not going to happen, we think of the word worry. Can you say amen? And boy, are we skilled sometimes at worrying. Sometimes all the enemy has to do is just, is just if, if, if we're open to it, if we're not careful, just plant a little seed and, and he starts the story. And if we're not careful, we allow worry to finish that story with tragedy, with, with dire circumstance, with, with death and destruction. We fill in the blanks many times because, because worry is doing that. It's motivating that. But the Lord talks about worry. Because he knows this is a serious situation that we all face and we all deal with. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Here's what Jesus said. This is a familiar, familiar scripture. I'm sure you've heard it, but let's read it. Let's be reminded tonight of what the Lord says about worry. That is why, he says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food in your body more than clothing? He asked that question. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? He asked that question again. 
Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Worrying. It's a lot of activity mentally. It's a lot of activity taking place, but it doesn't get us anywhere. Jesus says, don't worry. What are you worrying about tonight in this place, in your life? What keeps you up at night? The Lord says, don't worry. You're following me. You're trusting in me. I'll take care of you. We don't have to look far. Look out. Look outside. Look at the birds of the air. God takes care of them. And how much more valuable are we? We don't have to fear because God knows our name. He knows where we are. He knows the situation and the circumstance tonight. He knows who you are. In the same way that God doesn't just see where you are right now, but he sees where he's created you to be. Can you say amen? He sees where you're meant to be. He sees where you are right now. He sees where you've, where you've come from. He sees where we are right now, but he sees the potential inside each and every one of us. He sees what he created you to be. He sees the end of the story that he has for you. He sees that. He sees all things. That's how he knows us. Now, in Matthew chapter 16, we look at an instance here, and there are many instances of the Word of God, but here we look at the life of Peter. And Peter was an amazing person in, in the Bible. He was human in and out, as we know, if you know anything about Peter. He had his good traits, and he had his bad traits. He had the things that he was, he was a passionate person. He had things that, that he did that were amazing, and he had things that he did in his life, as we see in the Gospels, that just causes us to scratch our head a little bit and say, Peter, what were you thinking? See, we could put ourselves in Peter's shoes because we're not too dissimilar from him. We have our good times of the things that God's done in our life, but we have times in our life where we ask our own self, we could look in the mirror like, man, what were you thinking? Now in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus asked him, then he asked him, uh, but who do you say I am? And he asked this, this question directly to Peter. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Isn't that a great compliment that the Lord gave Peter? Something powerful. You were blessed, Simon, son of John. I'll read it one more time. Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. In verse 18, now I say to you, see it gets better for Peter. Listen to this. Now I say to you, and this is Jesus telling him this, that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Put yourself in Peter's shoes in that moment. Imagine if you were being told this. Wow, maybe he just puffed his chest out a little bit. He's like, yeah, I'm Peter. The Lord Jesus, he just called me a rock. I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. 
So we have a profound story right here, a profound passage where Jesus was speaking into the life of Peter, speaking life into him, speaking uh, potential and showing him what, what God desired for him and what God, how God saw him as the rock. But let's not forget, just two chapters prior to this, in Matthew chapter 14, Peter was the one that was sinking in the water because of his lack of faith. Do we remember that story? When Jesus came to them when they were on the sea and, and, and Peter says, if it's you, Lord, bid me to come out and I will come to you. And Jesus said, okay, come. And he stepped out and he began to walk on water. And man, he was doing something so powerful and so amazing, but he looked, he, he took his eyes off Jesus for just for a moment and he began to sing just two chapters prior. See, I believe that Jesus didn't forget about that situation. Jesus didn't forget that, that Peter struggled at that moment with his faith. I mean, Jesus was right before him. Jesus didn't forget about that. But yet, two chapters later, what does Jesus tell him? You are Simon Peter, which means rock. And upon you, I will build my church. So powerful. So much grace found in that truth. And that's what the Lord does to us. He hasn't forgot about where you've come from. He's forgiven you. He's made a decision to forget about those things, but he knows you. He knows your ins and outs, and yet he says, you are my son, you are my daughter, and he calls you by name. I have created you for this. I have created you to be victorious. I have created you to overcome. I have called you to be the head, not the tail. I've called you to be above and not beneath. Can you say amen? God's called us into victory, and he knows who we are. He knows our hang-ups, our struggles, our situations in the same way that he knew Peter. Just two chapters prior, Peter wrestled with his very faith in his Savior, but yet God gave him a promise and spoke life into him. And that, that's what the Lord does to us. So the devil would love to just isolate us and cause us to feel shame because of our our failures, and Peter had failures, church. If we look in the Bible and the Gospels, Peter had failures, but it didn't stop God from using him. Why? Because he kept coming back to the Lord. He kept seeking God. He kept responding to the call of God, and it's the same for us. What are you going through in this place? Perhaps, perhaps you're wrestling with failure. Perhaps you feel that you're on your last rope, that you don't want to hold on anymore because of this situation or that situation, but the Lord's word for us is to hold on, is to stand fast, stand on the word of God, stand on, on Jesus Christ, our foundation, and if we do that, church, if we stand on him, we will not fall, we will not fail. He knows who you and I are, and yet he loves us. Amen. He sees us. And we look at another person in the word of God. We look in Genesis chapter 25. And we know the term in the Bible as we read through the Old Testament, the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham, right? And the God of Jacob. And it's interesting here because when you look at the story of Jacob, what did Jacob do? He did many things, but, but one of the things that stands out about Jacob is, is he made his brother Esau. We remember the story of Jacob and Esau. He made his brother Esau sell his birthright for a pot of stew. Esau came to him. He was starving. 
he was hungry. And Jacob did something as we would see, like, man, that's cold, right? You would think if your brother came to you or your sister came to you and they were hungry, you would give them something to eat. But Jacob saw it as an opportunity. He was jealous of his birthright. So he told, he told him, well, I'll give you this pot of stew. Just, just give me the birthright. In the value of these things, there's no comparison. But Esau was starving. He says, I'm starving. Are you really going to do this to me? And Jacob said, yes. So Esau, there's so many things that we could pull out of this passage, but Esau sold his birthright for a pot of stew, for he was starving. That's Genesis 25. Now as we jump to Genesis chapter 32, in your own time of study, you could read these passages. We understand the story where Jacob wrestled with God. We remember that story, right? And he wrestled with him through the night. And daybreak was coming, and God was saying that, you know, the, the, the day's coming, I have to leave. And, and what did Jacob say? No, I'm not going let to you, let you go until you bless my soul. Powerful passage. And what happened in that instant in Genesis 30, 32? The Lord changed his name to Israel. We remember that, right? So here he is with a new name, Israel. And there we get the, the nation of Israel. <clears throat> but all through the word of God, we see that, he, that God's called the God of Jacob. So we see what's happening there. It's, it's his old name. There's Jacob and then there's Israel. Israel's his new name. But what do you think that shows us, church? That God knew his ins and outs. God knew his struggles. God knew where he came from. And despite that, God still loved him. For God was known as the God of Jacob. He's the God of Israel as well, but he's known as the God of Jacob. So, so such a profound thing of God's grace upon the life of Jacob. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5, verse 8. If you have your Bibles, let's turn there. The Bible says this. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knows where you are. He knows your situation. But yet his calling still is there. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. He knows the plan that he has for you, the perfect plan of peace. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. So tonight, if you could hear my voice, understand that all is not lost. If you're struggling with fear, understand that he knows your name. He knows where you come from. He knows where you're going, and yet he still loves you. And even if you're in this place and you feel that you're in a place of failure, he still has a plan for you. And in that place, he knew exactly where, you're gonna, where you were going to be, and yet he still loved you, and he still died for you. See, we're all part of his divine plan. And because of that, we don't have to fear, church. You're part of his plan. There's a powerful passage in Acts chapter 9, uh, verse 10. And here in this passage, Saul of Tarsus, this was another, another man in the word of God who was, who was wrecking havoc in the church. 
He was persecuting the church. But he had a revelation from the Lord, and we understand the story where Jesus revealed himself to him from the sky, and he, he, he knocked him off his high horse. So what's powerful here is as, as Saul was, was going through this transform, transformation, and he had a realization about the, the lordship of Jesus Christ, there's an interesting person that takes place here that, that we see in Acts chapter 9, and his name is Ananias. See, we're all part of his divine plan, and let's look at this, because we hear so much about Paul. Paul wrote so many, so many books in the New Testament, but listen to who, who Ananias is. See, this, this is the truth that we're all part of his divine plan. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. The Bible says, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now, and I have shown him in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Now listen to what he says. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to, people of, uh, to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my, my name's sake. Verse 17, so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. So this is the beginning. Uh, this is Paul's conversion. He was once evil, he was, he was persecuting the church, but he became Paul, and God had a powerful plan in his life. And you know who was part of that plan? It was Ananias. And what did he have to do? He had to be obedient. See, he was part of God's divine plan. And church, we should never discount ourselves. That we may feel that the devil would love to just make us feel insignificant, insecure, not important in the kingdom of God, but you're, you're very important in the kingdom of God, in your family, at your workplace, there at your school, within your, the four walls of your home, in this church. You're so important. You're so vital. Little do we know the way that God wants to use us. Little do we know who we may be ministering to. Little do we know about their future. I think of the beauty of children's ministry. And our ministry workers that week in and week out, they're, they're there, they're toiling, and they're, they're ministering to these children, to our children. And only God knows what he has for them. It's a beautiful thing. You never know how God's going to use you, but we must be faithful just as Ananias was. What if, what if Ananias rejected this? See, he had a part to play in Saul's life, in Saul's testimony in the powerful man of God we know as, as Paul in, in, in the word of God. See, God has a place for you in his kingdom, believer, brother, and sister. He wants to use your life. You may sometimes feel insignificant, as I think we all do at times, when we look in the mirror, but understand that you're a part of the kingdom, that he's created you for a purpose, you, something that only you can do.
your personality, your character, your good and your bad. God can use it all. All things work out for the good. Can you say amen? amen. To those that love God and are called according to his purpose. God desires to use your life. Thank you, Jesus. If we could have the worship team come up, I want to share one more passage as we talk about this fact, uh, fact of God wanting to use our life. Now, we also remember the passage in, in, in the Gospels where, where the Lord fed the multitudes, right? Such a powerful, powerful miracle. The Lord multiplied. He fed thousands of people. But how did he do it? When Jesus was there, yes. It's all hinged on him. He prayed for it. Yes, that, that is important, and that transpired. But where did this miracle begin? Let's look in John chapter 6, verse 9. When Jesus told his disciples, because the disciples wanted to send them away. Lord, just send them away. There's all these people here. There's no food. They're, they're, they're going to struggle out here. Just send them away. Let them go to nearby towns and, and, and eat. But Jesus said, no, you feed them. They said, what? He said, you feed them. He said, we don't have anything. But look in John chapter 6, verse 9, this profound miracle that transpired, that's written here in the Word of God and that will be part of eternity forever and ever. John chapter 6, verse 9, and here's what they said. There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? A young lad with two fish and five loaves of bread. See, they were looking at the natural. They said, what can we do with this? But that young lad released what he had and put it into the hands of our loving Savior, Jesus. And when you put something in Jesus' hands, there's no telling what's going to happen. Can you say amen? Jesus can use that to feed multitudes, thousands, millions. And where did it start? Yes, it, it was hinged on Jesus, our loving Savior. He prayed for it, but it started with what the young lad had. You may feel, Lord, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything. I hear this preaching about you wanting to use my life, about not fearing anything. God, I don't have anything. We all have something. Can you say amen? The Lord has deposited faith in each and every one of our hearts. And you know what else you have? You have a story. You have a story of what God's done in your life. Powerful story, miracles. The fact that you're here tonight in your right mind, that, 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 that you're here with us and that you're breathing is a miracle. We all have something that we could release into the Lord's hands. And when he, we do that, man, lives will be changed. Lives will be touched. People will be fed. People will be refreshed. Why? Because of your story of what the Lord's done for you. Because you made a decision to follow Christ and then with God's strength and help that you make decisions every day not to fear, but to live by faith. That will motivate multitudes, nations, the world's hungry for that. They don't know it, but they're starving. They're hungry for the truth. You and I have the truth. So tonight, the Lord has called us to fear not. We're going to be spending all this month talking about that. 
tonight as we kicked it off, we understand that we don't have to fear because he knows our name. He knows you and I. He knows your ins and he knows your outs, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows everything. But despite all that, while we were yet sinners, what does the Bible say? He died for us. He loved us so much. So fear not, my brother and my sister. No matter what you're going through, you may not see the end of that thing, but the Lord knows exactly what he's trying to do. Just follow him, trust in him. Understand that he sees you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He knows where you are, so stand fast, stand strong, and hold on to the faith, and God will do what he's desired and what he desires to do in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Let's bow our heads tonight as we pray.